Good morning. Oh, good morning, church. Oh. We are in a series of um, looking at faithfulness in the Bible and looking at how different characters stretched and longed for God to meet with them in their situations. And we've already looked at Abraham and Joseph, and last week was Job. Now, it's a series on faithfulness, but of course, when you come to the Israelites in the wilderness, it becomes a little exercise in faithlessness, doesn't it? So we're going to take a little deviation on this now and look at faithlessness along the journey. And it will resonate with all of us because there are elements in our lives too where we have been faithless. Very mindful of Jesus saying, um, uh, is it Jesus? No, it's Paul. He says, anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. It's Jesus, isn't it? Paul. Uh, anything that doesn't proceed from that's, that's a very challenging thing to hear, isn't it? Anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Wow. <clears throat> so, going back to the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they've seen the miracle of the ten plagues on the Egyptians because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And now they're in the wilderness. Are they going to be grateful? And are they going to walk into the promised land flowing with sticky milk and honey? But the story of the Exodus is absolutely pivotal, isn't it? It's a, a blueprint for the Exodus that comes about by Jesus paving a way for people to be set free from sin, to enter the promised land of the kingdom of God. So it's the paradigm that sets us up for the redemption story of Christ. And along the way, in the wilderness of this life, we might grumble once or twice. Anyone with me? <laughs> Has anyone grumbled today? Mary, don't choke. Do you want some water? <laughs> the weather. Grumbled about the weather. Okay, that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I'm guessing that the Israelites going out, coming out of Egypt is a familiar story for all of us, or most of us. And you remember it well. Do you remember when Charlton Heston led the Israelites out of Egypt and went up the mountain? Anyone seen the film? Yeah, so you know who I'm talking about. It's not really Moses, it's Charlton Heston. Took him into the, the Sinai wilderness. Sinai, S-I-N-A-I. Whenever I see the word Sinai now, I can't help thinking of sin and AI, artificial intelligence. I'm sure it's not going in a good place for us. At the same time, God is calling them out of bondage, of, of slavery to sin and idolatry, out to be his people, to be his people. The wilderness becomes the church where God is going to marry his people. And it's the place where God also tests and purges and refines like fire. The wilderness is also a test. And you've been tested before, haven't you? When you meet someone and fall in love, you slowly get to know their heart. Nobody reveals the whole of their heart on the first date. Nobody. Even if you tried, it's not possible. 
to, to, to bring out in words the capacity and the depth of your own heart. I just don't think that's possible. But as the trust grows, the more is offered from the heart. And if there's no trust, the heart will close up and the marriage will likely be doomed. So it takes time. God called them into the wilderness to see what was in their heart and to show them his heart for them. So remember, they'd been slaves for 400 years. They were immersed in uh, practices of Egyptian idolatry for the most part. They knew of Abraham's covenant. But that was 400 years ago. It's only a little bit shorter than the time that Mike mentioned about John Wycliffe, the morning star. It's a long time. A lot has happened in those years. Generations of families brought up in Egyptian slavery. And that's why 2 Peter 3.9 comes to the rescue for us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, but it does feel like that, right? 400 years? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness, it says. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I have sympathy for the Israelites, and I'm sure you do too, that they grumbled along the way. They can be forgiven for thinking that God was a bit slow. So God had called his people out in redemptive love. And what he was doing is so beautifully captured by my hero, P.T. Forsyth, who said this. It's not going to come up on the screen, but get this. The first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but its master. And all the congregation said, wow. The first task, the first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but its master. They're called for freedom for a purpose, to know God. And every believer in Christ here is called for a believer to know Christ, to put on Christ, to eat, as Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you so that you wouldn't have to be broken. To wear him, to eat him, to be transformed by him, to trust him as our creator and our master. That's where our freedom is found. So Yahweh, the redeeming God of the Bible, gives us freedom in order that the freedom leads us to him. Free to go to him. A few weeks or months ago, I don't know whether any of you would have noticed this. I think it was on the BBC News Channel, so maybe you did. The Pope, Pope Francis, released a dove into the air from the balcony of the Vatican. Did anyone see what happened to that dove? Now, it's a, it's a picture of setting the bird free. It's a, it was a peace gesture to the war in Ukraine. A hawk swooped down within seconds and carried the instantly dead bird away. The bird was going to be free, but it carried away the dove. When God redeems us... In Christ, when Christ sets us free 
from sin and death, we are not devoured. We do the devouring in communion, crunching with our teeth, taking into our body Christ. And that's the way God redeems us. He takes on our sin and He leads us to Himself. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And this is reminding us again and again and again to stand firm. And then the text that Chris read out for us, Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 6, gives us a glimpse into God's motives for us. That even though he redeems and rescues his people, he must know what's in their hearts. He must know what's in our hearts. And when the heart is fully open in love towards the other, whether it's your spouse, your partner, your, or God, the heart has got to be open to these things. The very first line of the first verse, be careful to follow every commandment that I'm giving you today. Yesterday I was teaching Christian ethics to a bunch of students in Exeter. Wonderful day, exhausting day. I asked them two questions. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to ask you now. 8 verse 1, teach them to obey every commandment. I asked them a question. Has any of you ever stolen from a shop? Okay, right, someone's admitting that. I won't say the, the name, I won't say your name, Steve, just in case it goes like, uh, <laughs> Stephen Reed. There's <laughs> so very few of us, right? And then probably are some of us probably a bit too embarrassed to admit, but most of us haven't. That's the point. I'm going to ask another question now. Put your hands up, please, if you've ever broken the speeding limit. How fascinating is that? Shame on you. No, no, no. How fascinating. It's fascinating how we choose which laws to break, isn't it? Teach them to obey every commandment, for that is where your freedom is found. And where your freedom is found is where you will find your master, your savior, your God. Thanks for being honest. But it had to be every commandment in the same way that a marriage vow says, I promise in my open heart towards you to be faithful to you. It wouldn't do if God said something like, um, that, that there, there are 613 laws in, in the law of Moses, people. Um, choose your favorites and just do your best. I mean, that's like, oh man, it's like wet lettuce religion, isn't it? Who wants that? But... That doesn't make any more sense, any more than a groom would say to his bride, I promise to be faithful to you 90% of the time. That'll do. I'll take the deal. It wouldn't work, would it? So we have this language of every commandment all the time, even though 90% sounds pretty good, but it's not enough. So God is going to test them in order to humble them, verse 2, 
to see if they would obey, to see what was in their heart. And although God provided the miracle food, the manna, the the, the quail, the meat, and the bread, he reminds them in verse 3, famously, Jesus quoted this when he was tempted in the wilderness also, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Twice in these verses, God mentions what is in our hearts, that he wants to know our hearts. Because that's the reality of who God is for us. It's not just the mechanics of religion, the superficial structures of ecclesial life in this world. It's the heart again and again and again. Because, well, where is the biggest battleground on planet Earth? It's not Ukraine, it's not Yemen, which we should pray for, by the way. An eight-year regional war, disgusting war. The biggest battleground on this planet is the human heart, without doubt. And this is what God wants from us, our hearts. So because this is about Israel in the wilderness, and um, the title is Faithlessness Along the Journey, Israel in the Desert, as we bring this to a close, I want us to just briefly look at how these ex-slaves did in the wilderness, which is a beautiful place, by the way, and I'm sure one or two of us have been there. Well, I say it's beautiful. I mean, I had an air-conditioned car, shoes, clothes, Shade, a hat, sun cream, a camera, water, food. It was beautiful because I had all of those things. But they didn't have these things. They had none of those things. But it is a staggeringly beautiful place. So we're going to look at the failures. Failure one over food and drink, Exodus 15. Failure two, even after God provided the miracle bread, they still complained, Exodus 17. Failure three, even when Charlton Heston was getting the actual law from the actual God for the actual people in, who were committing pagan idolatry at the bottom of the mountain. Failure four, when they left the mountain, they kept grumbling and complaining. And it was only the prayers of Moses that kind of prevented God from consuming them. Numbers 11. Failure five, when they complained about the miracle bread called manna. Again, Numbers 11. Failure six, So God gave them meat, quail, delicious, delicious meat. And they still proved unfaithful. Numbers 11 and failure 7. They rebelled against God's word to enter Canaan and even threatened to stone Moses to death. Numbers 14. And so Moses once again had to intercede and stand in the gap for them and pray for their forgiveness. Numbers 14 again. And God did forgive them again and again, but the decision was made by God already that God would sentence them, those former slaves in Egypt, they would not enter the promised land, but their descendants would. Because God knew that the grumbling against Moses was the grumbling against God. And he's drawing out the poison from their heart with every single grumble. That's, what, that's why we do it. 
When you catch yourself in a grumble next time, see it as God's medical procedure for you. He's drawing out the poison in your heart. But there's much more going on in the wilderness. Snakes came. Plagues came. More prayers, desperate prayers of intercession. And we may think, why so harsh? God, why do you want to consume them? Why? Because the human heart is so hard. And God wouldn't need to be so harsh if the heart wasn't so hard. They and we must know the truth that man does not live by bread alone, but on every, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the truth of the universe, church. Our physical appetites when we're hungry is a sign of our need for God, our hunger for God. When we're thirsty, we drink water. It quenches our thirst. But it's a sign of our thirst for God. I've said this a thousand times, it feels like. So it's a sign for us that we should not fail in the same way. Now I'm going to read a portion of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10 from verse 6 if you want to follow with me. Now, it says, now these things, which are the things that we're talking about, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. That's some statement, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The God who spoke to the Israelites then is the God who speaks to us today, and we are to listen. Centuries after the Exodus came the exile, and after the exile had finished, God led his people out of Babylon in a mirror image of coming out of Egypt. And Ezra read to them from the law, from chapter 8, verse 1, saying, the, chapter 8, verse 1 of Ezra says, and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law, because they were desperate not to make the same mistakes again desperate. The ears of the people were attentive. So that is to say, finally, that faithfulness, that long obedience in the same direction, is not mere advice. 
It's not optional. It is critical to our spiritual development. And whenever we choose something less than faith in Christ, we are choosing something that replaces faith in Christ. And anything that replaces faith in Christ is sin. That's why Christ is all, totally sufficient. Hence, Paul writes in Romans 14, 23, whatever does not proceed from this kind of faith is sin. And so, if you think all of this is too difficult, think again, because God is patient with you because He loves you and wants your heart. He really does. If you think this is too difficult... And think, well, where we and Israel fell in the wilderness, remember this, Jesus Christ himself succeeds. And we are invited to share that success by being in Christ. And when we are weak, the Spirit not just intercedes for us, church, but is in us, groaning out prayers to God the Father for us with words that we can't even imagine. The entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work for your salvation and mine. That's got to be good news. And so we pray all glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Deliver us, Lord, from faithless living. Keep us in Christ. And as we remember your faithfulness towards us, as we prepare for bread and wine, we offer ourselves to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen.